0: All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks.
1: And welcome back to part two of this roller coaster of. Uh, upheaval within the field of uh, archaeology anthropology and the origin of mankind. Now let me just recap. There's a lot of words we talk fast both of us. Let me try to recap what we've done so far and then we'll move on deeper into the story. We have this notion that uh, going back 65,000 years there's the so-called oration or oration um, impulse in our storyline and as you, Gordon, lined up for us, that's attached to some certain basic notions in our spirituality in a paradigm. Then we go back another 20,000 or 15,000 years, actually only yeah. to 65,000 years. For some reason, he divides that short period as a transition period, as a, its own segment, and he calls that the Gondwana. And there's still some traits there, like the eternal eternity notion and also the trickster, maybe an ancient great god. Yeah. And then you have the, let's just say pre-65,000 years because you can't really put a beginning to this. And that's Exactly. The, right? Yeah. Pangean or however you pronounce it. And that, that there, there are less traits. I was a little unclear by the way what's the associations to their paradigm?
0: Which paradigm? Uh, the oldest one, Pangean well the thing that i the thing that i found particularly interesting about it is that the trickster emissary coming down from the sky is one of the oldest motifs as far as a sort of world expert on mythology can tell us and the, there is a implied kind of like fall or violation of some sort of taboo. So what I was looking for, if you look at why why it's called starships with a dot in the middle, is it's a play on on obviously starships and UFOs and flying saucers and so on. Mm. But it's also about navigation, and it's the story of the stars essentially. It particularly because it was written principally for um, Western magicians, I guess. Um, which is weird. Everybody should, could read this book and get something. Oh, I, I hope so. Please do. Yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to, say, um, I want to say star magic rather than astrology, we use the history of astrology, which is um, we we can kind of, at least when it comes to the planets, we can date it reasonably precisely in Babylon. But if you look at Egypt, the actual star bits, it goes back to the very beginning. We have that with the pyramid text. And it goes back to the beginning of where we currently date to dynasty. Egypt but for people who listen to this show and of course me because I wrote that book that's unsatisfying because Egypt is kind of like particularly the old kingdom is the end of a very old story rather than the beginning of a slightly old story right so if you find this fully emerged like fully developed star lore in the old kingdom well where did that come from Mm. and that's um, where a big part of the book follows that star lore around the world and the fact that you find uh, 90% of Aboriginal stories associated with Orion are associated with the Hunter. And that's the Cosmic Hunter. So, like... Again, you have to be careful with this because you don't want to suggest that uh, non-Western cultures haven't changed over 50,000 years. The Aborigines have seen off ice ages. like they, They've been through change, right? Mm. Um, but nevertheless, they, they're sort of the uh, oldest continually practiced cultures on Earth. And their asterisms, a lot of them, obviously different words and different stories associated, but the archetype of them. The, the Pleiades being a group of seven sisters and, and, and Orion as a hunter and all this kind of thing is there. And if, if we, we it, it doesn't even matter if we got that from, say, the Neanderthals in Southeast Asia, which was then a continent, or if we brought it with us from Africa, it's still like Orion as hunter, as as sort of star magic, is that old. Now, what does that tell us? What does that tell us about, given that I'm I'm very Robert Bavalian about this, uh, that you know the 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 belt stars of Orion are in that sort of three pyramid giza match and so on so we've got this complex this sort of giza complex temple in a way to Orion or or a corner of the sky that's a hunter and we we've had that same sort of story for a very very long time mm-hmm. and that's that is hugely significant for people who are magically operant, so that's kind of where yeah, yeah that's that's where that book goes, and I think that's
1: fun. to to find the most universal traits in the, but it, well, you know you know his, talk- I, have
0: this, I have this premise right Al, which yep. is older isn't necessarily better, uh, <laughs> right? But oldest might be. Mm. So older isn't necessarily better right good point. but oldest might be, especially mm. if you know we we get all the way back if there is a beginning to it to some sort of trickster emissary coming down. And that's one of the things I wanted to play with because the magicians are, as you know, kind of conservative in the classical sense where they uh, as a broad statement do generally prefer old things or older things to new things i think older is better
1: yeah me too but in this (laughs) perspective the the what we discussed right before the break that we can touch base uh, anytime anywhere then that can mean that older can be just as off track yes and younger can be more reconnecting but oldest would be Closer to the source, so I can see. I can see that, that that's um, a little um, that's a little problematic. It's a conundrum, yeah. but uh, also another interesting uh, 180 degree turnaround here is that you're probably aware of Torrejón, right? Oh, of course. One of his last projects, uh, unfortunately he died before he could see it through but it's still a growing thing there, is that the ancestors of the Norse people uh, may have actually been uh, they lived around the Black Sea and Odin was actually a tribes leader. He was a real person. Now, we'll not go into that a lot, but from what I take from this, Loki is actually much, much older than uh, Odin because Loki is the trickster archetype, whereas <laughs> Odin end up being just a um, tribe's uh, an elder, uh, ancestor, uh, whatever we call yeah. it. <laughs> and I want you to explain us a little more about lo- uh, about the trickster character because many people may not even be familiar with that archetype. Well, the word and it's important. Y-
0: yeah, it is. So um, I've had, uh, this is a, it's old now, it's about 13 years old, but I, I've had uh, George P. Hansen on the show, and he wrote a very, very good book about the trickster. It's called The Trickster in the Paranormal. And the, the trickster's archetype is found universally because it's at least 150,000 years old, if Witzel is even 5% correct. And it is a disruptive and teaching figure, but teaching for reasons that we don't. That are potentially non-obvious to us. So the serpent in the garden is a trickster form Mm. because he tricks Eve. But he tricks... uh, UFOs are are tricksters, goddammit. 100%. So that's what George P. Hansen is saying, which is that um, the broad category of paranormal phenomena that falls under UFO and often shouldn't, so Mothman and and, and so on, displays uh, trickster elements and the, the trickster is a disruptive change form that I think, and he does, and I'm sure you do, and we might describe it differently. We use the word or the archetype of trickster, so the devil, Lucifer, Loki, what have you, as a descriptive term for uh, extra dimensional interaction with mankind that is sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes either it has a motive we can't see or is in fact without motives.
1: So and, and sometimes it makes trouble for us, but sometimes absolutely. it helps us. It's, it's better yes. to say than good and bad because those are value judgments.
0: A hundred percent. And that's what's so fascinating about the, the Pangaean mythology that Witzel um, develops because we have a trickster emissary and we also have some sort of taboo violation. and And, and so we have the the tension of we got something but we paid something or we got something and it broke us a little bit. And that idea is, of course, the expulsion from Eden. Like it's Mm. that's an example, what is that, uh, 145,000 years later of the – Yeah, of this kind of Pangaean idea. And that's from from a magical perspective, that is hugely significant when it comes to Western magical, but not even just Western magical, because you will find the same sort of idea around the planet. It's just that I wrote for um, Western magicians, I guess. Right. Uh, If you look at how we have historically arranged spirit lists in the grimoires and and so on you at the top more or less is lucifer right in one way shape or form and in folk magic it's the devil and and whatever interesting because that is in fact the form <laughs> that we find uh, as far back and it has that same tension it has that same hold this at arm's length you will get stuff out of it but it's not without risks Mm -hmm. and that is the ufo phenomena to a t that is mothman that is all this stuff and it i think says something foundationally significant about what it is to be alive in this universe
1: Mm. at our level at least so star law (laughs) yeah star
0: law what why is that so significant I think – well, it's a bunch of reasons. Um, So we'll start with the not materialist but prosaic ones. Mm -hmm. If you think about particularly a lot of the action we've been talking about in this episode has been before the end of the Ice Age. In fact, pretty much all of it. we, we think of the Ice Age as a, a cold time, and it, it is, or it was in, in certain parts, but it, it's sort of defined by the percentage of the planet's water that is locked up in ice, hence its name. Glaciers and, and, and all that kind of stuff. As a result, there is less water in the atmosphere, which means, obviously, there was no light pollution other than fires, but... Try and imagine if you've been out in the desert or ever been out to a dark sky national park and you look at the sky and it is, it's like coming up on mushrooms or LSD or something just by looking at it. It is astounding. And it was the only thing on television for 200,000 years. Uh, and so, what we know when we look at the kind of uh, archaeoastronomy of Star law around the world is that this is not this was our calendar and our clock and our Google Alert and where we stored our stories and all the so it has a function. even a porn yeah exactly yeah it has a function it is, it is it is a functional way of being in the world fine I, I think that I, I think that is enough for to kind of string the thesis of the book which is that um a lot of these practices from before the end of the ice age have survived into western magic we just haven't seen them like you know orion being a good example right so Mm. that's the sort of prosaic um case the next one is is very metaphysical which is like why would that be so and and we kind of know from things like directed panspermia like what you Probably find is particularly if the trickster came down from the stars to us, is that there is implied the sense that the stars are our home. That's sort of where "quote unquote" we come from in a way. And a really beautiful example of that, because I use a lot of Aboriginal star law, is with the Burong people. And the Burong people are in the book for a couple of reasons. But one of the things that uh, the Burong say, and also um the Anangu in, in in Central Australia, is. The stars, when you look out at them at night, are the campfires of our ancestors who have gone home, and that is just such a beautiful idea. And you know what? It's kind of scientifically true. Like if if you do the directed panspermia thing, like if life, the best, uh, the best case for how life even exists on this planet is that it came from elsewhere. It's some kind of squishy, dirty rock. You can say it was a deliberately seeded. Um, you know, super virus that unpacked. It can be whatever, like material that landed at least once. I think it happens continuously, and I think it's happened at least a dozen times. Mm. But that's actually true. Our, our 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 oldest ancestors came from the stars, and so you have like that, and we have that story encoded. In
1: Not it. only that, but we, yeah, yeah, but also that uh, there's also the spiritual concept that we come from the stars. Uh, you know, in terms yes. of energy.
0: Absolutely, and 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 what's it kind of comes back to the perennial philosophy thing you were talking about, which is well, this is. Um this is doubly true. It's true on a materialist level, mm. and it's true on a spiritual level, mm. and which one came first, or is it, a, is it that continuous uh, mm. operation of it and, and gaining access to it? Mm. So that's what is encoded in – um, and no, not encoded to be unpacked, but that is what has survived into, well, the world's magic, but it, it's a Western magic book. That's what survived into Western magic, and we kind of haven't – seen it that makes we've we've been looking for the wrong thing to have survived across hundreds of thousands of years we've been looking for the wrong thing to survive and it's the that perennial philosophy thing you mentioned and i just find that immensely beautiful and profoundly significant particularly if you credit which i do um but if you credit the idea that matter these are difficult metaphysical words but if you credit that matter or the universe has an interiority so rather than I mean, I know you like more earlier than Platonism, but I, I know you like the kind of vertical split. I prefer an interior, almost Jungian way to it. It's the same thing; like it's it's mm. that there is a a purpose and intelligence and and an interiority to the universe, and and it's just so fascinating that we had that idea and we told that we just as far back as I can see, we knew that mm. that that's amazing. And and the way because you Australian Aborigines have how had no use for genetic information or, 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 or scientific descriptions of directed panspermia and and viruses from space and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but they nevertheless had the exact, if anything better, they had that information uh, in a way that was kind of philosophically or, or spiritually useful, which is you look out and feel connected to the wider universe, because these are all the campfires of your ancestors, all, all the, and you're sitting there with your campfire, and so you have this connection. With the entire cosmos and and an awareness of of where we come from and and probably where we go when it all ends up. Yeah, I've lived uh, in
1: very remote places. Um, like you have to drive half an hour to get to the closest groceries, and I can attest to the fact that nature does something with you. It's like it uh, activates a part of your, a- an aspect of your consciousness. L- mm-hmm. If we use Gepser's term like archaic mythic magic that is still there but it's dormant in modern man. Now you, the title Starships, I figured it also was a reference to the fact that Earth is a starship and this is kind of a history of the Earth uh, that yeah. you've done. So it works there yeah. too. But I think we should uh, enter. I'm, I'm re- holding. I'm putting on reserve another criticism. I want to get that later. Uh, let's enter. Why is Göbekli Tepe and I'll also add actually Çatal Hüyük, or however you pronounce that, another site not far from Göbekli Tepe, but uh, the older city, I think. Yeah. Those two. Why? are, they, And you don't go that much into that, but it is connected to Gö- Göbekli. But why? Why at all does that enter the equation?
0: So, it because it is almost – well, for two reasons, uh, and it's something Dr. Schock has mentioned, and I think it, it is correct. Um, Dr. Klaus Schmidt, who discovered it – we spoke about him in part one – said that the cathedral predates the city, uh, because that's what Gobekli Tepe tells us. Which is his way, or was his way of saying, that before we even lived, at least in that area, mm. um, before we even lived in permanent structures – we built this sort of star temple on a hill. And it's large. Like, the the site is probably around 30 hectares. Only about 10 and a half have been excavated. And it's this beautiful and astounding, you know, circular, uh, well, enclosure D and and some of the earliest layers, because it is, you mentioned Chateau Huyuk. uh, The later layers, and we're talking about, you know, after 8,500, after about 7,000, actually, B.C., um, they they go from these circular structures into more rectangular mm. structures that are recognizable in in Château But the earliest layers, which are older than Château huyuk and probably older still, because it's a this big hill and you have to dig from the top, obviously, because that's. No, hang on. When you
1: said they haven't uh, excavated everything, you were talking about area, but to have they done that in depth too.
0: Not not to any sort of satisfaction. Like, I mean, how could you? Because you have to kind of dig down in a. Uh, uh, you know, in a reasonable way, so that you don't destroy the the earlier layers. But the, the the site itself is around thirty hectares, and there are more not being discovered because the fact that it exists at all is this sort of improbable just astounding um, event because it's so, so old. But the cathedral predates the city because before we lived in, in in settled structures, in permanent structures or in settled groups, we seem to have got together and built a star temple on a hill. So what that, at the very least, what that tells us is, is that the questions that you and I are interested in on a lifetime basis were the same questions that people Twelve thousand years ago we're interested in which is where we come from what's it about and and so on and that is a a crucial statement or or gobekli tepe is a a piece of evidence that dismantles the previous and materialist idea and marxist and all the all the sort of children of materialism Mm. that the way civilization works is you were hunter-gatherers and that wasn't that good which is wrong and then we get agriculture And that was slightly better, but what agriculture does is stratify society so you have farmers and kings and whatever. But because you have a harvest, you get to sit around and make up stories about how the universe works, and that's where religion comes from. So Mm -hmm. the cathedral is supposed to come after the city as an invention of farmers sitting around a fire at the end of the day. And that's Mm -hmm. how you get things like a Marxist dismissal of, quote-unquote, religion or spirituality. And Gobekli Tepe disproves it. We weren't in that area, and farming is – I I just bought a farm, but, like, it's an area I'm particularly interested in. Um, We define farming in a a sort of – we have, like, wheat centrism when it comes to farming because, actually, we've been gardening for 100,000 years. So we've been working with the world of plants to make sure they and we – can live for much, much longer. But we weren't farming anything in the sense of grain when we built this. So the Mm. cathedral predates the city. That is so important. That is so important for sort of marshalling the arguments against that... Uh, materialist interpretation of history Because it fails Like, it, and it, What it also does, secondarily Is it elevates our Paleolithic ancestors to At least our level, because they're Thinking the same things, and they, they Have art, and they have music and, mm. and cosmology, and they can clearly Work together in groups, because No one lived there, no one lived At Gobekli Tepe, so it was Not probably, even
1: uh, keepers of the site?
0: Not as far as you can tell, there's no water so if there was a keeper, um,
1: they but would... Hang have on, it's so long ago. How do they know there wasn't water back well, then?
0: Not being able to tell um, if there was any nearby water is actually kind of easy. Okay. But um, the the actual climate was much, much nicer. So you have sort of grasslands and pistachio trees. And, and, and this is sort of one of the um, things that Klaus Schmidt said. How old do we know uh, at the minimum that Gobekli Tepe is? So,
1: um... Is? Because it's a crucial it question if it predates the ice age.
0: Well, it absolutely does because um, the enclosures that get the most sort of alternate interest are right on the edge of the Ice Age for reasons that I think maybe aren't that good. But we're sort of talking in the um, 10,000 to 9,000 BC is where you have the most interesting enclosures, which is sort of D and C and B. So, And that lines up with some of the archaeoastronomy that the, the likes of Dr. Schock has done about what the yeah. – um, I don't want to say what they, what they describe, but the matches between – the uh the actual t-pillar structures in these earliest enclosures that we've excavated and the stars so you kind of have a pleiades taurus top half of orion situation going on and what i think and i don't know how we would work well someone needs to work it out but so the two main pillars in the beginning in the center are surrounded by sort of a circle of smaller t-pillars that are all sort of facing in and it's um it was a musical sight, like the, the, these giant sort of T-pillars are sort of gently resting, and, and Dr. Schmidt called them sort of like two angels just gently resting under earth. So yeah, just, like tuning forks, right? Yeah, you hit them and they hum. Mm. So, and it probably created a standing wave, like if you think about how that works. So they, they weren't just using – it wasn't just a sight for music in the sense that it's a guitar made of stone, although it is that. Um, They were probably And this is kind of why we then move on to Egypt In the book They were probably using sound and stone In a way that alters consciousness That we cannot recover we just know they well we might be able to recover it but like in a small scale. we just know that they are we don't we don't know what it's for we just know that they it's were still
1: elements in certain esoteric uh, sure. si- systems but it's a good point that it's not just for you know it wasn't the guitar around the campfire no, it, uh, the implications, no, let's kumbaya it was more to do with spirituality and yes. maybe also meta we can't disregard the metaphysical component in terms of uh, exotic I, technology
0: absolutely that's That's what I mean. That's what I mean. I think the the old kingdom is the end of a 50,000-year project of using stone and music and stars together as, shall we say, like our earliest – not not our earliest form of magic. You know what I mean. There's a 50,000-year stone, stars, probably drugs and sound combination that we – it's recoverable, but we won't ever know what it is. We just know that they were playing this game at a level of sophistication which we no longer do. And that's really important because when when I say something like that, people want the antediluvian civilization to be... Yeah, we're going to get to that, believe me. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they want it to be all the kind of um, crystal-running computers, high-technology Atlanta stuff, which it doesn't need to I'm more interested as potentially you are in the metaphysics of it. So, yeah. Let's
1: not go there yet to Gordon. But you said 50,000 years um uh, could it be
0: that old? Oh, Göbekli Tepe probably isn't, but we do have the sort of use of stone uh, around the world stone circles that kind of thing that goes back i i would say um well, well let's just say 35 for now but then um, you
1: no, but that's important because if it's 35 it's uh, part of the laurasian culture if it goes yes. further than 40 then it's also a trait of the gondwana well
0: gondwana starts at 65 according to um oh yeah i yeah, sorry yeah yeah, yeah 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 i mean so uh,
1: yeah No, yeah, it starts at, but it ends at 40. So, Gondwana would have it if it's older than 40. Uh, Of course, these lines, these borders
0: aren't clear-cut, but... Exactly, exactly. But Uh, but I would, it makes more sense to me, just not intuitively, it makes more sense to me that if there is a um, architectural and magical change in the story of mankind, it would probably be kind of all the one thing so the what Witzel calls the rasia and, and what Dr. Joanna Nichols who did the um linguistic research calls that kind of second um development in in culture and whatever it just seems to me that we have these things that could probably date from approximately the same time and they're all kind of like different blind men on on the same elephant yeah. so that that's a guess I you know whatever yeah. um but Gobekli Tepe is in there because it shows that we were playing a kind of star music and probably drugs and stone game better than we we sort of realized. And also, it's in such this bizarre place that as a result, it's the same – All modern wheat is descended from the sort of hills in the general Gobekli Tepe area. Um, Wine isn't from that far off. So these notions that we have, that have retained in mythology, that we learned a lot of these skills from, you know, beings that taught us these things coming down from the stars and we have a temple that implies verticality and is pointed at the stars in the area where we first start using these things and we come back to that well is it a physical description is it a mesophysical is it both at the one time Mm. and gobekli tepe is is that it's it's our rosetta stone for being able to understand the Paleolithic because it's it's right on the edge of where that um, fundamental Paleolithic to Neolithic change happens. Uh, it's right on the edge of going from before farming to after farming. So we have motifs and and, and, and things that we can relate to as a post- agricultural or post-agrarian sort of civilization and before it so it's it's actually a rosetta stone because it's it's a real challenge otherwise to get your head in the world of paleolithic hunter-gatherers and and what have you because how could you i mean where 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 is our way into this right Mm. and and gobekli tepe provides and will provide more but is it at least one of them because it's this site that that is sort of written in in both of those languages if that makes sense
1: Mm. But you said uh, uh, Rosetta Stone, and I think that's a good description because uh, the symbolism of this site, mm. I mean, one thing is the geology aspect, but as a magician, but also as any truth seeker, we should also look closely at the symbolism aspect. Yeah, sure. It appears to me we have, we're dealing with archetypal origins of, for example, the modern astrology. Yep, notions. Let's go a little into this
0: symbolism, because I think... But let, let, let me just jump in, and why it's a Rosetta Stone in that case, is yep. when we look at astrology, uh, particularly the history of astrology is done by people who probably don't practice it, you get the idea that we only needed a calendar when it was time to plant crops. That's the stupidest <laughs> goddamn thing yeah. ever, right? Uh, yeah. And Gobekli Tepe proves it because these people weren't planting crops, and they have an uh, archaic version of what will end up in in alexandria 10,000 years later as as a as a recognizable and also in india and also in in china yeah. as like a recognizable essentially star map of astrology and they weren't farming so it's another one of those cathedral predates the city moments yep. because we the sort of permanent argument against the idea that astrology is really, really, really old, and it is and it isn't, is, um, oh, well, we only invented calendars to farm. And I'm like, go and ask a farmer if he needs to like look at the sky to tell you when to put the broad beans in, oh. because I don't. <laughs> the weather, the uh, cycles yeah. are more important. But. Yeah. but now we actually have the we actually have the site to show that we have not just the star lore that is is in Australian Aboriginal uh, cultures, but we actually have what appears to be star maps before we needed that sort of planting calendar. Yeah. So it's so important. It's that Rosetta Stone. To what it does is kicks open the door of timelines. It kicks open the door yeah. so that we can start thinking about the story of well global magic but again western magic on much much longer timelines than we'd previously been allowed to do and i i love it for that
1: Mm. one of the big um, uh, cracks in the mainstream paradigm about the antediluvian or or i should say pre-ice age culture is precisely artifacts because you have disturbing finds like those of Klaus Donor, you're probably aware of him. Sure. And of course. course and of course in anthropology similar stuff like Michael Cremo. Now yeah. I'd say um if we have if we're dealing with this is why I think symbolism is important, because in Klaus Donner's case, he's for those who don't know, he's a collector and he's collecting stuff from all over the world. But he has found a pattern of what you can only call a proto-Sanskrit. Which means that, I mean, if Sanskrit is the oldest written language that has survived, then a proto-Sanskrit would indicate that there was a more homogenic culture, maybe not a homogenic anthropology, but at least a kind of a culture for the advanced aspects uh, in terms of writing down stuff, symbolism, uh, that who knows, maybe it went across the so-called species or I'd say the ethnicities of man who was reigning in the world, which is pretty interesting because it could either indicate a closer connection between the different cultures or, this uh, is uh, the chicken and egg again, but yeah, yeah. a common source, which is much older and uh, probably otherwhere than the out of Africa theory but if you have that uh, then uh, how does the uh, Gobekli Tepe symbolism compare to to the other oldest symbolism that we know because I've seen I've seen and I just want to throw in one more thing and I've seen that this symbolism in Gobekli Tepe is found many places around the world
0: it is so. If you're talking about things like the, the 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 curious, I was about to say similarity, but the the carved hands on example, the yeah. um, t pillars are more or less identical to the cl- the carved hands on the moai and and on Easter Island, and that's true. And again, you're dealing with this a ten thousand year gap. So it seems that where I would prefer what we're calling in this conversation a metaphysical. Mm. Uh, explanation for that, rather than some sort of physical survival from Southeast Turkey to Easter Island, right? So, so the I- invisible hand,
1: both literally and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> metaphor. But, uh,
0: <laughs> so, w- I mean, I, I, this is the right sort of show to have this conversation. But whatever the temple at Göbekli Tepe is built for, I think that whatever that entity or entity is, is in some sense real. That's a that's a mm. fair thing to say. I think so. If it's real, uh, that means... with
1: real, you mean manifested in matter?
0: No, no, I mean like whatever that the spirit of the hunter in that hunter's temple is, is, is has a, I assert as being ontologically valid. Mm. So whether it's Orion, you can call it Orion the god, you can call it whatever you want, um, Watineru in Anunnu, in like. If that's the case, then the people who constructed the Moai, and, and as to the how and why of that, that's obviously an open mm. question of its own. But I can see, I think that's evidence for the fact that there is a reality to whatever this temple is built for. Mm. Um, and, and that's why you get so many of these motifs. And it's sort of why it, it gets challenging, and it's a, very, it's a separate book. If you look at some of the... I only follow a few of them through because they map to Egypt. But if you look at the actual carvings in Gobekli Tepe from the enclosures that we've actually excavated, you probably could. Do a sort of Witzel esque match to other places where that motif is, because it's it's the oldest temple. But let's be clear: in many respects, ten thousand BC isn't that old. When you're no. like, I, I love cave art and and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, um, it's it's interesting as a Rosetta Stone, but it's certainly not the origin of um, spiritual thought. It's certainly no. not the origin of symbolic thinking or any of that. It's again one of those cases where it, it may actually be the end of it agreed. It's more than the origin yeah agreed. I think it's one of those endpoints. Um, but, yeah, so like you can follow the symbolism in those directions. i I only pick the ones like headlessness and the sort of ibis and other things that show up in old kingdom Egypt. Uh, you know, again, big gaps later. I pick the ones that that work in that broader thesis, which is that our understanding of quote unquote, star magic, which is, uh, circuitously described in, say, hermeticism, yeah. is extremely old, is in fact extremely yeah. old. And what what entertains me about that idea is that they thought that at the time. It's just that they got all the words for it because they didn't have history. Like, they got all the words for it wrong. So that the the Well, geese, they may have. I mean, they
1: burnt the library of Alexandria and
0: stuff. Well, no, I, I mean things like the idea that the, the pyramids were the tombs of Moses right. and Hermes Trismegistus. <laughs> history, history. Are, yeah. are scientifically wrong, but they're also lyrically correct because these are structures that encode both uh, you know these really the really, really ancient origins of of, oh, right. of some of these ideas they 're talking lyrically rather than literally, and so mm. I find that hilarious that in many respects the um, the people getting around in classical Egypt and in the early sort of Arab days of um, egypt, and they kind of thought these were the tombs of former prophets from before the flood and all that and that 's not correct, but it 's also not wrong mm. and I, I that is fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, and it's a tube in another aspect too, and that is go there, leave your body behind, then travel.
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly. But uh, yeah, Soma. But another thing is that Gobekli Tepe falls in line with the transition from the end of the Ice Age, and that's significant. We have speculation, of course, about why it's buried
0: or how it was buried. Do you have any reflections about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, and I love Dr. Shock, we've sort of corresponded. In and around this book I think he's brilliant and I rely on his work for a lot of stuff I think he's wrong about and, and Hancock and the rest of them I don't think have, have really thought through the idea that um, we delicately buried this temple as like a warning to mankind that I loved that portion in your book
1: I, I've been thinking yeah. that all the time you say it with your ordinary sharp dry humour but when on earth has anyone cared for their kids or their grandchildren? Right? Never. I mean, <laughs> it's not the story we're yeah. ha- having our heads up on or in our asses. I think if anything, it's it it points backwards in time. It doesn't. Point- I think so. so
0: um, we find in uh, Egypt that temples, because they, you know, Egypt's as uh, preaching to the choir here. Egypt's probably older than well, it is older than the kind of dynastic calendar we have for it right but even just within dynastic egypt because it went for so long the the stellar alignments of the temples fell out because of pre- procession so you kind of had to rebuild the temples and there's plenty of evidence that they would do this a similar thing appears to have happened in Sumer, which is closer in uh, pa- well, it's a, it's a closer parallel to what happened to Göbekli Tepe, which is one of the reasons these sites are so well preserved, is that they were delicately buried, delicately buried with small rocks, as if you're kind of packing to move. Mm. Uh, and it see, and some of this seems to line up with the fact that because it was used for so long the the stars that they pointed at probably fell out of alignment so you have to like right. build a new one because it doesn't yeah. the 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 sky ground match which we have survived in the old kingdom and hermeticism and so on no longer works. So I think that's the case. I think what happens is
1: uh the closer chapter of the book and have to start writing a new Yeah,
0: because if if it ha- if it works. And you
1: don't you don't destroy the previous chapters just because Well you can't, it's
0: a temple. You know, and that's yeah. what Sumer would do. In, uh, in in Sumerian culture, we have uh, two or three examples of temples that cease being used being delicately packed up. Um, and sort of deactivated, if you will, because you can't destroy them. But, but do we know for sure? No, that's mean, my guess. Uh, no, but, but in Egypt, the, the pyramids
1: are naturally buried. Do we know for sure that Gobekli Tepe and the Sumerian stuff are intentionally buried? Yes. Um, that, that's the that's, mm. the... that's significant.
0: It is. It's, it's intentionally buried. So they weren't destroyed by anything or we wouldn't have got them. Uh, we wouldn't have right. got the, the complex later. But they, they were intentionally packed up, if you will.
1: So it's the reasons for why they were buried. You differ with the yeah. uh, simple term thinking that it's to preserve it for the ancestor. That's where you differ. Yeah,
0: like yeah, a warning for a warning for future yeah. mankind. It, it was definitely yeah, yeah. the the archaeology of it is universal, and it's one of those things that you can actually ask the roulette maker about. Like this is a deliberately buried <laughs> site because their whole right. job is digging through layers of dirt, so they know the difference yeah. between deliberate and, and and naturally occurring dirt. Uh, and so that is significant but i think as to the why i think it's because it fell out of alignment um with whatever the stars that were most important to it at the time were and and we sort of see that reflected for in in cultures that i think in particular the case of the old kingdom in cultures that i think are almost in a funny way and i don't i want I want people to listen carefully to what I'm saying they are in a funny way a continuity of the same star ground culture the survivors of Gobekli Tepe didn't go to Egypt and found Egyptian civilization or anything as dumb as that but the same almost like ritual magic uh, behavior is found just at a much more advanced level in, in Old Kingdom Egypt than uh, Gobekli Tepe. So I, I think it's 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 a it's my assertion, but I think it's a reasonable one that um you can kind of look at well, it it seems to be an alignment issue that they that's why there's so it's why it's a big hill. They kept building on top of each other and sort of packing <laughs> packing the ones underneath it. Mm. Because and why would you do that? Well, you do that if if it has to work as a ritual site, if it has to be that combination of sound and star and stone to get the magical and metaphysical effect. That seems like that's the best case to me.
1: We've always been building on top of older sacred
0: sites. 100%. 100%. What I, um, I think, Graham, if he ever does another book, um, and it's just so difficult from an uh, from archaeology perspective to do it. And also you're dealing with active sacred sites in India. But I think he's right that the ones that will have some of the most paradigm-changing impact would be in India uh, and and that you, you build from scratch very often so it's not even it's unclear what you would actually find if you tried to dig under temples which you can't mm. do in India anyway because they're still no. being used yeah. but I think that's a really good I think you will find it would be my guess that many uh, Hindu temple sites have been used for since like Laurasia right like honestly I think that is a place you would find uh, temples that go that have been used for twenty thousand years, no question,
1: but if your hypothesis is correct, then it we can infer one more thing from that, and that's that the site must be much older than we thought, because if the stars go out of alignment, you just imagine when they built it. it must have been the last time it went out of alignment.
0: Well, yeah, but i, I it's uh, it, it's a absence of evidence challenge and and we have Egypt to um, what's the word I'm looking for here Egypt is the kind of case that you can use to sort of backcast to Samaria and, and sideways cast to somewhere like India because if you look at the satellite surveys of and this isn't old kingdom stuff this is just through general dynastic Egypt satellite surveys of all the sort of temples up and down the Nile you see even with the smaller ones in particular you can see that they have been moved small amounts (laughs) over the course of time. So we know that it was a requirement that, that, and I get this magically, but we know that it was a requirement that they had to match. And that idea is clearly there at the beginning of the old kingdom. So they got it from somewhere. And then it's a question of lining up what things came before the old kingdom that we can find. And and Gobekli Tepe is a very important piece of that story.
1: If they were just pragmatists, if this didn't, didn't have any objective um, function, then they would just alter the significance of what the different pointers uh, yeah. were. You know what I mean? So, uh, okay, now it's out of line, but re- let's reinvent the mythology here. No, we have to stick to the objective truth. So we have to actually physically rebuild. The sites that are supposed to transfer these um, meanings, which means that there's a physical component here, which is actually 100% valid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And and that is, again, kind of borne out in you know the last 120 years of psi and paranormal research that there are arrangements of things like stones and people and places on the earth that have measurable psi effects and and we we just kind of i use this metaphor in the blog a bunch but it, it, in many respects the 20th century and and trying to be trying to go on this journey is kind of like a roswell crash like an actual Roswell <laughs> crash because we have all the, we had the pieces of a broken spaceship that's the sort of story of 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 western magic and 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 what we understand from Egypt and so on it's a it's a we have the pieces of it yeah. and we could all try and put it back together but uh it might work it might not but nevertheless it's a spaceship
1: mm-hmm. well um if they did build i mean we build uh, like i said earlier we, we build still on top of older on top of older
0: yes exactly
1: and uh, uh, wasn't it that when they found gebekli tepe it was still in the current culture that lives there now there was still lore about this being uh, somehow uh, if not sacred at least some kind of superstition around the place <laughs>
0: What appears, yes, sort of. Um what appears to have happened and why why it survived, because it it's I mean, I wrote this book in London when I was living there. What fascinates me about living somewhere like London is that you can lose entire Victorian factories. And and, and the Victorian era wasn't that long ago. I and mean, then all of a sudden you're building crossrail or and and you find like Usually it's gross stuff like a plague pit or what have you. But like, you miss whole factories that are only like 150 years old until you find it again. Exactly. And you try to think back 12,000 years, yeah. the improbability of something that would survive. And what appears to have happened in the case of Gobekli Tepe is that um, it was believed to be a uh, Muslim graveyard. Mm. So, yeah, uh, sacred place. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, you can't disturb under, and it's—I mean, it's a good idea. But you know, in Islam, you can't disturb the um, the bodies of the graves of the dead. Yeah, that's common. The curse of the Indian burial place. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you you just leave it alone, and that appears to have been what protected it, in the sense of no one really noticed it until. Mm. And and Klaus Schmidt wasn't the first person to survey it either. It was actually surveyed by uh, an American. Archaeological group and they missed what it was um, after the war, hmm. and Klaus Schmidt um, saw it and said, "Actually, I think this is this is probably something," and found it. But the the very fact that it survived is just this remarkable. It might be fate, it might be coincidence, it mm. depends how you want to use those words, but it, it was this sort of mm. string of extremely improbable events that, that led to its survival. Synchronicity, I guess we can call it. Uh, yeah, it's a good
1: word. But that's, that's why stone is what we end up in every time we go far back, because that's what survives. But the problem with that is that people then deduce that, okay, that means stone was king, and that's all there that was. And then now we're getting closer to one of my criticism, Good. maybe, of your stuff, because you, you said it yourself, you just made a case for it 100 years ago. Oh, we discover stuff that's uh, gone or oh, oh, only in 100 years. We can't know. To what extent the advancement, or or I should say the technological aspect, was prevailing. I'm pretty sure that if they had uh, uh, ancient technology, stuff that we could maybe call technology, although I do agree that uh, it conflates into the spiritual. But if they did have that, uh, the spiritual component would still be king. Uh, they wouldn't be materialists, uh, so that's a big yeah. difference, right? So, but if we can acknowledge that w- if they had advanced tools, they would still have the same. I mean, it doesn't do anything to rule out the main message in your book uh, that this is metaphysical and maybe also a transcendent. That we agree about, but that in itself doesn't exclude a technological component and. Uh, Of course, yeah, people think they find, uh, you've said that, uh, cities like London or or Athens, right? But we know, and we have to, you're you're into this too, to try to square all data pieces into the same puzzle. We know that there is extremely ancient advanced technology that doesn't cope. Uh, We know that. And uh, you interviewed Brandenburg... (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it was a nuclear war that long ago, and uh, you Tom van Flanden, the exploding planet, but we don't even have to go there. We know that there's been nuclear. Uh, the same signatures is, uh, I think, in Iraq and India. We found batteries that are very old. Mm, so I
0: don't, I don't think, because I've been, I spoke to Dr. Shock about that. There's yep. that kind of idea that um, there is nuclear. Well, there's. There is a half-life reading that could be a nuclear weapon in India. Um, he's heard that story for 25 years as well, and, and yep. he's been looking for it. That's his whole job okay. and hasn't found it. So that one, I think, appear, is probably not correct. I, I know, we, like, here's the thing. The thesis of the book, I, I expected to find, and I've been looking since I've been a teenager, mm-hmm. a high civilization as the sort of origin of, in this case, shall we say, star magic. And you don't need it. Like, this is the point. Um, the, the, way, the way I've used the empirical evidence and, and taken it back you don't need it if magic works, to put it another way. And so that's what I think. And here's the thing. There may well be. My favorite example is whatever the hell is off the western tip of Cuba. Right, right. Uh, that what it, that looks, because it's at the bottom of the ocean and no one's allowed to look at it, and it's probably the origins of the Olmecs. But the thing is, if you follow the evidence we, that we do have available to us now, you don't actually need to get to the whole, well, maybe they had advanced technology or not. Uh yeah, but we know uh, there, I,
1: there is technology that we have discovered that is very ancient.
0: Mm, uh,
1: well, they found uh, only let's let's be moderate in in the Mediterranean, they found batteries. Yeah,
0: batteries aren't that like that's I don't think advanced. I don't think that is I don't consider that advanced, put it that way. And I and here's the thing. Um I agree completely because I'm very interested in the sort of geopolymer process, um, Davidovitz hypothesis for how the pyramids were built, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, at least one and a half of the Giza pyramids, right? So I'm very, very interested in that. I think the, the quote unquote, the trouble is we say high technology and you jump straight to battery, but I think... They were, And this is what Davidovich said, is that we've become, in the last 2,000 years, we were a chemical civilization. Mm. The, uh, the Paleolithic was a sort of geological or stone civilization. So they were as good at stones as we are chemical. Because that's was what survived. But also the geopolymer process shows it. So we can't actually see their high technology because we look for batteries. Right. And I don't think that's right. Right, um, so yes, is is the case, and it's sort of the whole point of the book was to give people what I think is the most up to date and valuable information from which to go looking for it, mm. because we're looking for land speeders and other Star Wars toys and and you know and buzzsaws and and things in in Giza, and we haven't found them, and we don't
1: need them. <laughs> No, no, I I understand that and I understand you haven't bought into the mainstream but but there's two um, things that doesn't square together one is the mainstream says we were we were primitive uh, and then we advanced gradually and and that's of yeah. course easy to debunk. Uh, now the other one says that we were advanced, then we fell, and then we had to try to restore. And of course, Göbekli Tepe can be used in both cases. But if you say we don't need it, we still. It's not that I think we need it. It's it's that we have to explain how we can have those components fitting into a more I I don't want to use the word primitive because they were anything but, but a more basic culture, a more in touch with nature culture, could still have what we could call technology only as a slave instead of today technology is master. But they could have it as a slave, and I'd say, battery doesn't square with what the mainstream says they would know. Uh, bumps wouldn't. Uh, Anti gravity certainly wouldn't. Advanced sound technology
0: wouldn't. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Anti gravity. Uh, I would. I wouldn't use that word. But what I would say is that we know now that you there are certain sonic processes that appear to reduce the mass of objects. Right now, that. That is high technology, but you landed on battery, and I'm trying to say the technology, yeah. quote-unquote, that we're talking about is stone. And I think they use geopolymer liquid processes, and I think the reason they did that, one, because it's, it's just how you build something as enormous as the pyramids and as precise as the pyramids and all that kind of thing.
1: But and that, in South America, you have the same phenomenon. Huge structures, fine cut.
0: Sure, sure. Absolutely. Those, those um, those marshmallow bricks that are—they—they they look like they're—they're um, they're only half solid, and, and that appears to be that geopolymer process. I get that. Mm. I also get that the use of sound and potentially psi capacities mm. um, can reduce the mass of objects. But I don't—you'll you, have to point the books out to me, Al, that say <laughs> that, rather than the ones that go calling, um, you know, a, a Giza a power plant and actually try into some kind of crude battery. If you're referring to the Baghdad battery, that's a mild chemical reaction that can be used to electroplate things or potentially potentially run a light, but probably was used for electroplating because we have examples of that. So I don't see that as like, aha, Atlantis. But I do, like, I think the parts of, quote-unquote, high technology that we see self-evidently in Egypt are the things that most people in the alternative world won't get their heads around, which is the technology we're talking about is stone. It And I mean, yeah. and we, we hear that and we just think chisels, but it's not. They were liquefying this stuff. They were using and they were creating things that used a combination of sound and stone for, frankly, magical reasons.
1: Well, there are artifacts that are out of place, but I, instead of losing ourselves in that, because I, I'm not a professional who can hit you in the head with all those factoids, I'd rather take the big Picture then. Now, you agree that mankind goes back, and, and we don't even have to go to the Neanderthals. It, it goes back so far in time. Advanced mankind, and, and actually, the mainstream says that we've been more or less unchanged physically for, I think they are not pushed it back to two hundred thousand years. So a bit more now. Yeah, yeah, maybe even more. But let's say let's say two hundred thousand then. So. What we are today was around at least that long. Yep. And of, uh, I believe in millions of years and, and cream and all that. But we don't have to go there. Let's use Ockham's razor Okay. So then we see that there are... Advancement in thinking, so we debunk the Ape Man uh, culture theory. There's advancement in thinking, there's advancements in consciousness, there's uh, advanced tools, let's just say that, without pointing out m- how mechanical or whatever they are, technological they are. Okay. So we know that. Then we see the culture today. No, well, there's one more component. And then we see that the further back you go, the more everything is erased. The only thing surviving is stone. Now, let's just use basic rationality here. Today, we are able to build a a, a so-called advanced civilization. If there was a huge catastrophe, not much of it would be left, especially not after 10,000 years, 20,000 years, you name it, 50,000 years. What would be left of our culture? Almost nothing. Now, it's basic logic that if we are able to make planes today, there's no rule in cosmos saying that our ancestor wouldn't be able to do it. I, I I don't say that the the world today was around exactly like this hundred thousand years ago. Oh sure,
0: but look, but the advancement. As I said, you don't need it for the thesis now. Pardon? Yeah, you, you don't need it for the thesis. The, the The whole point of the book is to follow back the things we can actually know, and I do say at several points in the book. Yeah. that's all I'm doing. Um, I absolutely I don't rule out two things. I think I don't think humans. Um, evolved from monkeys i I don't think the morphological or data information is there Mm. that's not in the story because that happened whatever that was Mm. millions of years ago so it's not the story that's in starships and also because i can only see far as far back as the genetic and linguistic and whatever evidence goes that's where i pick up the story and i say a couple of times like there may well have been but here's the thing that's not I don't see that in the story of the kind of prehistory mm. of western magic. I see the memory of it. Mm. Absolutely. Um I see the memory of it, but I don't see it and I don't and it's not needed for um the thesis in the book. But yeah, I agree as I said like
1: for these 150,000 years it's not needed for those.
0: Absolutely not. And and mm. in that that is a sufficient time sample for you to Look at the evidence we have and then make the metaphysical or spiritual implications about what it is to be human and on this planet and in relation to the stars. So, absolutely, that's what the book's about. I still think if there is an actual quote unquote Atlantis, um, the best case for it is whatever is off the western tip of Cuba, but not Antarctica. No, I don't think that one's... Um, I, I think that there's clearly stuff in Antarctica. I think you and I spoke about that on my show. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I think that's um, I think that's off-world stuff. I don't think that's uh, the sort of... The, the Atlantis of myth, if you will.
1: No, it uh, doesn't have to be Atlantis of myth, but the it's been pristine. It, it's even more pristinely buried than Gobekli Tepe. So I think we will find to what degree they were advanced under there. But... Again, just to push you one last time on this before we move on... there's nothing special with our culture today. If anything, you can say we are at a lower consciousness today. Maybe that's also why we're excelling in matter, in matter in, in detailing uh, mechanics of matter because <laughs> that's where we have our perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think so. There's nothing exceptional about us biologically, consciousness, culturally. If anything, we are very degenerated. But sure. still we're able to I'm able to take a uh, meet you tomorrow if I really want to. Now it's it's superstition to think that's not possible 50,000 years ago, 100,000. I didn't say that, though. I,
0: like, no, I
1: know, I know, I know. But I'm just, I, yeah. I, I want to I wanna hear what you have to say about it because it's
0: an important p- perspective because... It's, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't need it for the story. Uh, I don't need it for the story of, as far as I can see, the sort of origins of star Lore and not even origins, but as far back as I need to see from a time sample perspective. And if, like, I, the whole book is about resetting... The available evidence we have, because you've right. just used the the Flemath stuff and and whatever from Antarctica, and and this is based on older geological information that just isn't as good anymore. Mm. And so the whole point of the book is like, let's update a bunch of the information about things we yep. do know, and then have these questions, have these discussions. I, I get that, but but leave alone so the book I, now. When you say it's superstition, like fifty thousand years ago, show like I appreciate absence of evidence is, you know, like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. That's fine. The book isn't closing the door on this stuff. It's saying you don't need it. So how about we update the stuff we do know and then go looking because we spin off in the wrong directions. Like I said, land speeders and and power plants and whatever. And it's just, it's it's this cluster of garbage that I want to burn down and put something else in place so we can continue that quest. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> we don't need it okay okay we don't need it but hundred thousand years from now they don't need that either to explain us today but if it was there it's uh, and i appreciate that your book can afford taking that component into it but my point is we should have that component uh, being able to take that into a paradigm and and i do believe your book like you said, you don't exclude it, and it's room for that component in your book. I think But so. I felt you you dismissed too lightly. You touched too... And then, because of evidence uh, absence, but you did dismiss too lightly the notion of, let's say, then, uh, Antarctica or the cataclysm. Because, well, if you don't, you you push it very far back. And for some reason, the Southeastern is... More or less an origin point, uh, yeah, in your mind for that. Could you explain to us why you point out Southeastern? That's the
0: accumulation. That's um, the accumulation of all available evidence we do have. Again, the genetics, the linguistics, the the geology, the end of the ice age, etc., suggests that something happened there at that sort of forty thousand year point, and more crucially. Um, particularly once you get to Gunung Pedang, um, mm. this is the oldest kind of allowed um, proto-pyramid structure. And it happened at where we have the genetic admixture with the other hominins. We have the linguistic and, and evidence. And we lost a, a landmass twice the size of yeah. India at the end of the Ice Age. So if you're looking for the memory of if, and I think it's both, um, yeah. if you were looking for Uh, The idea that the end of the Ice Age survived in some sense in in the world's mythologies and religions and so on, and I think it did. Uh, The best case for that is here, where we have not just the observable development of cultural complexity at that point, but also the genetic ties back mm. from the Americas and Eurasia and Europe to this particular point. So the evidence for, if you were looking for... And it
1: aligns with Blavatsky's uh, Lemuria, actually. Of course,
0: yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> right? But for me, that's the best case for it. And here's that's sort of what I'm trying to do because particularly like in the premium members course when we did things like uh, the, the history of the grimoires and what have you, so much... There, there are so many things that are wrong that we have inherited that are getting in the way of being able to have a better version of this this quest, right? And so that's sort of the point of the book. And again, the point of the book is the origin, like a prehistory of the spirits. Like I'm, I'm tracing the story of a kind of cluster of practices and spirits in a specific grimoire sense. Because I got people saying, well, why isn't there anything about the Americas in it? And I'm like, because that's not… I can't do the whole history of the world. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you that the kind of the star and star spirit stuff that we see uh, in in a sort of Western magical tradition specifically can go back that far. And this is what I can see. So I'm I'm open to it. It's just that I get I I have had have done this for 20 years. It gets to this point and someone says absence of evidence is an absence, evidence of absence. That's fine. Stop using it as this catch all explanation for things. Let's, let's approach this with a little bit more rigor because I think we'll find more interesting things when that happens. So that's kind of, that was my, my main target was ancient aliens, but the secondary target was a lot of that. um, Atlantis. Egypt was founded by uh, descendants of a high civilization and, and it, it's a partial credit answer at best. Put it that way.
1: Well, I said, if we can do it today, we could have done it before. Uh, and I sure. said, and I also said that if uh, there's no, uh, there's only stone that will be traces. And that, I mean, we know that today, still we don't build in stone. So we are... Even, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right? We have had uh, even more asses than they did. But yeah, it aligns with another logical thing. And that is that... It doesn't have to be, and I know you're aware of this, but we have to say it also for the sake of this subject. Uh, There doesn't have to be one big cataclysm. Uh, More likely, there's been several reboots, which could afford some kind of Atlantis, uh, even in Lemuria. Sure. And even even if there's really a retained memory of a huge catastrophe, a huge fall, then we're actually starting to touch areas like Joseph Farrell, who builds up on...
0: um, Cosmic War stuff. I love that
1: stuff.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, that, let's Agreed. say
1: 65 million years ago, maybe there was yep. more like today. Agreed. Because then you can also tie in Brandenburg and, and, and stuff like that.
0: And I actually do. It's not in the book, but I think... Um, do you remember that terrible film version of Final Fantasy? Uh, not Final Fantasy. Um, I think there are in that kind of... However things like remote viewing, Akashic Records, whatever words you want to use for it, right mm-hmm. i think shamans wizards whatever have access to kind of like the story of the universe and i also think in a weird and this is a this is a crude way of describing it but you'll understand what i mean mm-hmm. i also think the kind of spirit impact or ghosts or lingering almost like scientological um, remains right. of of things like the cosmic war are available to us. My the, the thing with the book I was trying to, I am getting across is that you don't have to have a physic. we don't have to have 65 million years of physical evidence to trace humans back to this cosmic war, which I, I'm a very pro Brandenburg kind of situation. We don't have to because. Anton van Flanderen. Yeah, sure. Mm. Because magic works. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's the story of of this is this is retained in some sense in the spirit world, so of course like an echo. Yes, but it, it it might also be in some sense real. It might be that these entities that were the same, whatever their gods were, for instance, may well be spirits and things. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm I'm kind of interested in, because yes, here we have this story of say, 150,000 years to now, which is what Starships is about, its implications actually open the door rather than close the door to the kind of cosmic war stuff that I'm super into. Mm. I just, I don't like when people try to physically connect it. And and I like some of Cremo's evidence, but he has his own religious reasons for putting it together. the way he does. Yeah.
1: But everybody has their own religion. No. Sure. That doesn't.
0: He, he just gets off more lightly than I do. That's my point. Because I, I <laughs> hang my magic flag at the front of the, like on the door. You kind of have to get deep into Cremo before you find it. Right? right. So, and I think a lot of that stuff, I'm, I've got all this stuff. I'm looking at my giant pink forbidden archaeology right now. Um, I think a lot of that. But you make a good case for this because if it's
1: ingrained in our spirituality, in our astral echo, that's even uh, worse for the ancient astronaut uh, hypothesis because that means that you can reboot uh, culture on Earth. You can wipe out everything. Yeah, 100%. You can come back. Yeah. And it's still there as an echo, and, and that may explain, uh, there may not even be a direct link uh, in terms of culture and, and physicality to whatever havoc they caused millions of years ago.
0: Absolutely. 100%. Uh, right? Yeah. But we uh, are just
1: rediscovering what they did then, right now.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I also think a lot of Cremo stuff is probably evidence of time travel rather than physical survivals. Sure but that's purely philosophical that's that's sure sure sure, sure. but um, part two yeah <laughs> part three aren't we on part two <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're soon done here by the way but I, I just want to say these points at the end here and also i think we can say that if it's room for that kind of thinking then um uh, oh i've lost my train of thought of course okay. but it, it's basically this is basically the materialism history versus the cultural history.
0: And, and no, I wouldn't say that I would, I would say I I'm using empirical evidence to demonstrate where empirical evidence can and can't go. Right. So, but it, 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 abs- I absolutely, and I'm happy about that because I, I, absolutely am. I consider it in the current of books that includes things like, um, that includes things like Sitchin mm. because, he did the best he could with the available data, sort of. So did I. We both have access to grind. Um, and yeah, so I would say it that way. I wouldn't say it's a materialist one. I would say I'm trying to give what I think, and it's good evidence. I'm trying to give the evidence to sort of magical people to say, as a matter of fact, it's not a binary between listening to mainstream academia and listening to Blavatsky.
1: There's oh. it, like
0: the The story is there for us to explore. So let's do it yeah oh my god what a great what a great place to end <laughs> absolutely and, and your
1: book is very much about timelines and i also want to yeah. say there's a structure and order in your book that i recommend people to check out because much of what we've been throwing out here today in this conversation is traceable in your book you you touch most of it and you you structure it for us so it's a very surveying way to to get, you go into details many places about many of these things, Egypt, Gobekli Tepe, the ancient stuff. So, it's a very useful book to have even if you're not even buying into your approach, still a, it still has a value on many levels. Nice. So, I do recommend people get it. It's underrated in many ways. And I say, and I support you in that it can also be a supplement to the perspective that man more than Aliens has been, uh, you know, around and been advanced. Oh, for sure. Because this this deals with what we can afford uh, to accept from the mainstream for the last hundred fifty thousand years. So it's like it's like you're cleaning up the mainstream <laughs> contribution.
0: Ah, that's a, I like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, so that's great. Just before you go, I know we're pressed for time here. Could you just give us uh, uh, information about your other books?
0: Oh, sure. So um, Starships is my first book. It's from Scarlet Imprint, so you can buy it. Best is from the publisher website, scarletimprint.com, although there is Kindle versions available on Amazon. If you want the real book, you have to get it from real people. Uh, (laughs) My second book is The Chaos Protocols, which is specifically – well, it's about magic. It's 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 a book about magic in our current economic climate. And the third one is Kindle Only, It's Pieces of Eight. Uh, and that's little essays and enchantments in a specific chaos magic world. So those are the those are the three books so far, and everything else, the show and whatever, is uh, is runesoup Yeah, and yeah, highly recommended. Highly recommended,
1: including your interview with me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks a lot for your time. I know I've I'm been pressing you here, but we'll have you back then later. Okay.
0: All right, that was really fun. Yep, yep it was. Oh, it's been wonderful. Uh, Yeah, it's wonderful getting into the details of it. So thanks, Al. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Okay, cool. cool. See See ya. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks again to Gordon for joining us today and elaborating a little on his book which contains so much information that we couldn't get around to really give it the coverage that I I feel it deserves. I especially recommend the analysis of the mythology. It's very interesting to see which elements that goes the furthest back. And, of course, Gordon did mention something like that. He did say stuff like the world egg Father Heaven, Mother Earth, The Separation, The Trickster, The Demiurge, Bringing Civilization, Killing the Dragon, A Golden Age, The Flood, Apocalypse, etc. But in the book, he goes a little deeper into it, so we can know what it really contains. But I will read a little excerpt from the book before we end here. Uh, but first, let me say, if you want us to get on guests whom you like to get the forum treatments, in other words, someone you'd like to hear in a deeper conversation through a long-form model, most of the people we'd like to get on wouldn't come on because we're not big enough. So you can mend that. You can either help us become bigger by sharing and liking and all that stuff, and spreading our shows, because that's how we do it. It's the only way the organic reach, despite Facebook, Google, YouTube or, or all these conglomerates developing algorithms to keep shows like this down and to boost artificially the mainstream media. But another way that's also effective is if a show gets a good uh, repute and it finally reaches these guests, because most of these authors, researchers, thinkers, whatever, they don't have time. They're not sitting watching YouTube videos all the day or listen to podcasts. They don't have time. If they did, they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't become uh, well-known people who we would want on. No, they're immersed in their work. So they're kind of dependent a little on their audience and their readers and whatnot. So you can, if if you're in touch with anyone or if you're a supporter of anyone or on their pages, on, on email, in their forums, whatever. If they have a public reach, if they have an interaction with John Doe, you can put us on the map. And that helps a lot until we become until we reach decent numbers. So keep that in mind, cause there's a bunch of interesting forks I'd like to have on, not just on this series, but including in in this series about our ancient past. And. If and when I do get them on, I promise you we're going to squeeze out of them original takes and you'll hear them in a new setting, different aspects to what the usually run-of-the-mill interviews they give. Okay, let's now turn to the ships I have no idea why Gordon insists on pitching this to magicians, as he calls it. First off, that's a very small group in terms of numbers compared with... the, the the rest of uh, people who would be interested in this. But second, it's not really true. Although, of course, it is true in that magicians probably will uh, appreciate this book. But so will a lot of other folks, including, I suspect, most of the listeners. And I've read it, and I can testify to that you don't have to be a magician or have much insight into that oddity to get the book I'd I'd rather say this is the the magician's take on an objective field, which is the paleontology, the the distant past. So that said, I'm going to read a little excerpt called Digging in the Wrong Place. This book tells the story of at least one advanced culture that existed prior to the end of the Ice Age and the survival of some of its cultural practices and spirits down into the practice of Western magic in the 21st century, albeit in dramatically different outerwear. So, is it an alternate history book which puts it in, shall we say, mixed company? One of the great gifts of the Lauration model is that it provides a countercheck of linguistic, genetic, and archaeological evidence to some of the bolder claims of alternate history. It is worth highlighting some of these claims so you can see how wheat is separated from chaff. One, looking for Noah's Ark. Noah is a recent example of a much older flood myth. ...inherited by Near Eastern cultures. Why then would we expect to find a 3,000-year-old boat on a hill when the original story is at least 10,000 years old? The construction of ritual boats, on the other hand, is attested to all across the Lauratian footprint. 2. Plato's Atlantis A variant of the above error, with the addition of mistaking technological complexity for cultural complexity, because that is what we value in the West. Atlantis is an example of a retained memory of earlier cultures, to be sure, and very possibly a retained memory of the first Laurentian culture. Three, the location of the Garden of Eden. Eden is a near eastern variant of Laurasia's golden age motif. The tree, snake and immortality fruit make that pretty clear. Again, we face the problem of using as a map the literal description of a tumble down 20,000 year old story that was first told a long way from Judea. 4. The Nephilim and the Book of Enoch. Another example of a retelling of the much older Loratian concept of the descent of spirit beings and an age of half-human, half-divine rulers and cultural heroes. If it happened in any physical way, it happened tens of millennia prior to the story of Enoch. 5. Similarities between Mesoamerica and Egypt. There are certainly many similarities between these two regions. Typically, this is expressed as how could this be when they are separated by so much time and distance? Ergo aliens. The similarities are entirely predicted in the Lorasian model, whereby it was Lorasian cultures who colonized both areas between 30,000 and 10,000 years ago and retained variants of the same motifs. Dynastic Egypt and Mesoamerica, may have had no contact but wind the clock back far enough and the transmission vector becomes clear six literal interpretation of moses these are typically accompanied by a confused description of the amana period of ancient egypt with aknaton inventing monotheism sometimes because of aliens, and then something to do with swamps, chariots, king tides, and a volcano. But Moses is a lawgiver type, along with Manu, Menes, etc. And the baby in the reeds storyline is attested in Loratian mythology as part of either the culture, hero, flood, or golden age motifs. It may actually be Gondwanan, when you consider the Milky Way, as the divine river, mother as found in australia in any case akhenaten did not invent monotheism he was not even a monotheist seven out of place artifacts such as those collected by Klaus Dona and michael cremo a lot of these actually fall within my scheme of significantly more complex cultures existing before the end of the ice age over the next few years these out of place artifacts may revert to being just artifacts Some of the artifacts, particularly those in the Americas with dates of 150,000 to 200,000 years or more, can be interpreted as evidence of the complexity of other homonyms, or evidence of earlier, ultimately unsuccessful colonists, both of which are predicted in my thesis. And some of them, frankly, may be evidence of a full blown extra dimensional visitation more than a million years ago. Much of their evidence is hugely intriguing. 8. The Anunnaki. This topic will be dealt with at length later in the book, but it is sufficient to say that rather than aliens arriving in nuclear-powered rocket ships to create mankind to mine gold, to save the atmosphere of their home planet, a more satisfying interpretation is that the Sumerians had the most vivid example of the Golden Age era of demigods motif, out of anywhere in the laurasian footprint. Else you have to explain why these are dozens of similar motifs around the world that resemble an extraterrestrial event that really happened in one specific part of it. 9. Egyptians in America, Australia, etc. Sure, why not? Nothing but an improved understanding of ancient maritime technology and the loosening bonds of academic timidity ...prevent the suggestion that transoceanic trade or exploration was undertaken by dynastic Egypt. However, the commencement of dynastic Egypt is fairly well corroborated around 3500 BCE... ...which is vastly too late to have caused a cultural transfer to or from the Americas or Australia. Ancient Egyptian culture extends much further back than dynastic Egypt, of course. As a final note I'd like to say we didn't have enough time at the end there, me and Gordon to really discuss properly the question of advanced prehistoric civilizations and this time I wasn't even prepared so I couldn't hit him in the head with factoids but I suspect he knows about most of that stuff already so it's not I think that he or I would be swayed It's, it's just that you would get a better elaboration of why he sticks to this model which again is safeguarded anyway by having room for the more exotic anomalies and indeed Gordon is more a supporter of pushing the advancement further back now i think as i guess came through in the program that even though the modern human strain can be tracked back to africa that's that doesn't mean there wasn't human anywhere else Uh, when that strain reached let's say america's or other places in the world, there were already people present. But back in the day, there was much more racial variations, should one say, because they couldn't just take a airplane and mix that easily. It would take much more time to get the mingling. And indeed, the mingling did happen anyway, because most of us can be traced back to it. There are still major differences. Like I said, the sub-Saharan Africans not having their Neanderthal gene And I don't know, maybe there's also people who doesn't have the Denisovan gene and who knows, maybe other of those early strains. And I have to look into that to educate myself on that. But it doesn't really matter because the point is the same. Earth was flooded with people, has always been. But for some reason, some die out, others get mingled in, consumed if you like genetically, like the Neanderthals, and others survive more pristine, like the Sub-Saharans. So the melting pot that is the Earth, there's really no... This notion of a pure lineage is ludicrous when a genetic enter the scene, if we're talking about an absolute perspective. In terms of local, selected portions of our timeline, that's something else, of course. And same with culture. But ethnically, we have to upgrade our realizations. And the mainstream model is that we are unchanged for at least 200,000 years now. They pushed it even further back. They always do. It always goes backwards and backwards, hence confirming stuff like Blavatsky. But enter the actual evidence like Crema has pointed out and we find the human being millions of years old. And in a million of year perspective we have room for advanced civilizations blossoming and falling many times around. And if things are not linear but cyclical there's no reason at all why the culture we have today and this so-called civilization and especially the mechanical and the technological aspect of it could not be present also in the past. There's no argument for it only happening now. There's nothing special about us. If anything, <laughs> it shouldn't have happened. Maybe that's the best argument for the ancient astronaut or alien hypothesis. We are too stupid to have really be able to develop all this stuff. So with all that into account, it seems we have to go further back to dig up evidences of stuff like the Atlantean Ocean and we will I have many many people lined up for the future but there won't be too many episodes in Antediluvian series in 2019 because we're going to give focus to other series that year but we'll return to it in 2020. There will be a few and I have already lined up a couple more although they will be produced in this year they will probably not be released until next year That's it for today I hope you enjoyed. If you did, spread the word and keep supporting us any way you can. Thanks to you, I have been your host today. Until next time, sincere regards and be seeing you. number one